The Paralympics GB podcast with Hannah Cockcroft. Hello, I'm Hannah Cockcroft and this is the official Paralympics GB podcast, a show that gets under the skin of my fellow Paralympic athletes and discovers exactly what it's like to represent Britain on the world stage and a show that right now is marking the 10-year anniversary of the fantastic London 2012 Games. Today, my guest is Natasha Baker, who picked up double gold in the para-equestrian a decade ago, not to mention the three golds in Rio and the two silvers and a gold in Tokyo. And this is individual rider for Great Britain, Natasha Baker, riding Cabral. This all signed by Christian Landon, Lorraine Baker, Natasha, 22. She's uh, ridden all her life and uh, made her debut just a few years ago. So, individual rider for Great Britain, Natasha Baker and Cabral. There's so many things that we could talk about, but I have been told that we have to narrow it down to London 2012. We are at the 10-year anniversary. I mean, it first started, isn't that crazy? 10 years ago, does it feel that long? In some ways, it feels like longer. And in other ways, I can just shut my eyes and be transported straight back there. I don't know what it's like for you, but yeah, just the best memories. What is your overriding memory? When you look back, what's the one that you're like, yeah, that was my moment? Oh, gosh. Can I pick more than one? (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's possible. We've got a bit of time to fill. (laughs) I think my first one was riding into the stadium for the first time. Like, not even in competition, but just going in there and training and just being totally overwhelmed by how big it was and how beautiful it was. That was definitely, like, a pinch me, this is actually happening kind of moment. And then I think the first competition day and going in there and for a sport, we don't really get a lot of spectators, unlike your sport. We, you know, we don't really get those 80,000 crowds. And so riding into the stadium with 13,000 people was just an experience that I'd never, ever had before. And because I was wearing the union flag and had the red collar, I was the first British rider in. And so everybody was just going crazy. That was really, really awesome. And then, of course, like winning the gold medal and everybody (laughs) chanting my name and chanting JP's name. And yeah, that literally gives me goosebumps. Yeah, I mean, exactly the moment I remember as well. But I mean, you mentioned going and training in the arena. We actually only got to go in the track like once before the game started so was that something that you got to do because of the horses or yeah yeah we do we we get lots of familiarization because of the horses so I think well in Tokyo we got two lots of 30 minutes I think or maybe two lots of 15 but we got just under the hour I think in the main arena so just to familiarize the horses with the flower pots and with the cameras moving around and you know they're animals and you can't say to them oh by the way Lottie or by the way JP we're going to go into a huge arena and there's going to be cameras and there's going to be flower pots and they're going to be moving so yeah it's good for the horses to to see where they're going to be going in and competing more so for them than for us but I mean a little bit of advantage for you as well I'd lo- I love it when we go out on 
pre-familiarization of the track is like a dream <laughs> yeah it is helpful and and you just kind of get a feel of the place don't you and uh and yeah you can use that time however you want you can do full-on training or you can just you know go for a leisurely walk whatever works for the horse but it's a, a really really lovely time to to really get them relaxed in their environment so that you know when you go in there and compete that you've given them the best possible situation that you can so question is, it's one of those sports, isn't it, that I think a lot of people have a lot of questions about. I ask you stupid questions all the time. <laughs> so there is no stupid question in this situation. There really so isn't. You get the time now. How do you explain your sport? How do you tell people what they want to know? So basically, I ride a horse in a sand pit that is 20 meters by 40 meters. I have five judges around the outside and they are basically judging me on how perfect I ride the test and how perfectly the horse goes. We're given a list of movements that we have to ride and each movement is marked out of 10. So that will be on how rhythmical the horse is, how supple they are, how accurate I am when I'm riding it. So 10 is excellent and I can probably count on two hands how many 10s I've got in my 12 year career. Uh, no, 22-year career. Oh, my God, I lost 10 years then. 11-year <laughs> <laughs> championship career. But, yeah, 22 years, I can probably count on my hands how many 10s I've got. And down to zero, which is basically you were terrible and you didn't even perform it. <laughs> um, so anywhere in between those. And those marks get added up and then you get an overall percentage and the highest percentage wins. Hopefully you've not had many zeros in your career. I don't think I've had any zeros. I think I may have had a one, but that's why you're the best, Natasha. That's why you're the champion. (laughs) It sounds like the weirdest sport in the world when you started. Then you were like, I ride a horse in a sandpit. (laughs) And I was like, this is not the description I was expecting. (laughs) (laughs) You obviously haven't educated me very well in this 10 year of friendship. You know, you need to work harder. I'll work harder. (laughs) (laughs) So what, what attracted you to the sport in the first place? It is all my mum's fault. Uh, she she rode from a young age and I was brought up on the family farm with horses around me from day one. And they never pushed me into horses. It was, it was never like, you must ride or here's a pony or anything like that. I think if anything, they pushed me away from it. And they wanted me to have a real variety in my life growing up. And so... I swam and I played musical instruments very, very badly, especially the violin. I was dreadful at that. <laughs> oh, I played violin as well. Did you? Were you good? I'd like to think I am good, but maybe not. <laughs> I don't play it anymore, so maybe that suggests I wasn't any really good. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's those early stages, like you can't help being screechy. And yeah, I, I just, I don't think I ever got out of the screechy kind of level. I did exams and my mum used to dance to it. So that's wow. weird, but also maybe a good sign. Anyway, we'll never I... know because I don't think I can read music anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> I think next time we're together, I need to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll have to play a little duet and we'll put it on yeah. the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, anyway, I played the uh, piano as well. I was much better at the piano did brownies and all that kind of thing but I just always wanted to ride and part of my program at school I had physiotherapy and one day the physio called my mum and was like I don't think you realize how obsessed Natasha is with horses 
and how much she wants to ride. And so I don't think my mum did realise. And so she introduced us to the local riding for the disabled association and I think I must have been about eight by that time and I was completely hooked and everything else kind of dropped away but riding was always there and then it was the Sydney Games in 2000 the first time I kind of really knew what dressage was and I saw the team out there just dancing on these horses or dancing in the sandpit and just thought well if they can do it then there's no reason why I can't do that and so I announced the sassy 10 year old that I was that one day I was going to win a Paralympic gold medal and my mum and dad were like cool let's (laughs) let's get cracking it's a good job you uh, lived up to your expectations. I mean, six golds later, that did much better. <laughs> so that's not bad. Yeah, I got the first one. I was like, yep, yeah, no, I want the second one now. And yeah, it gets addictive, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, I think, I don't know if you ever get it, but people go, oh, like the people who won gold in the past, oh, why are they not grateful for a silver? And you're like, because you, you don't understand. Like we've been at yeah. the top of that podium and you, you don't want to be on that second step, do you? You want to be yeah. number one. Absolutely. Somebody told me that the easiest part of it is getting to the top. The hardest part is staying there. And that is so true. And, you know, you and I are kind of in a similar situation where it happened very early on for both of us. And we got to the top very early on in our international careers. So, yeah, the hardest part now is for both of us to stay there, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm 10 years into an international career. You're only slightly further on, but we're we're doing pretty well between us. Not too bad. We're doing all right, aren't we? Was that moment of watching Sydney, was that in your head when you got to London 2012? Did you kind of think, you know, no matter what I do here, this was before the gold medals, before the performances, I'm here, I've done it. This could be my chance to inspire the next Natasha. Because, you know, if you hadn't watched those guys in, in Sydney. Yeah, absolutely. And I've always said, if I can inspire somebody like I was inspired, then that's worth another gold medal. Because that is really what it's all about. You know, I love my sport. I love riding my ponies. I love what I do, but it's always about inspiring that next generation to follow their dreams, no matter what that is in, whether it is in dressage or athletics or whether they want to become an artist or an astronaut. You know, it's just showing that actually, despite everything, you can do whatever you want to. As long as you've got a dream, then you can follow that and and achieve it. Absolutely. Completely agree. I mean, you said you were 10 when you watched those games. You must, I don't know. Did you always find that you were driven by, I want to get to the Paralympic Games? Was that your drive and was that your focus? And have you had it since that young an age? Yeah, 100%. I, I saw those riders out there. And for me, it was especially Lee Pearson and, uh, you know, seeing how disabled he was off a horse and then seeing him perform, I was just totally mesmerized. And I, I just thought, do you know what? There's nothing that can hold me back from getting there. And then being on the same team as him in London 2012 was just so, so special. He was my hero growing up. And then he was my friend on the team 12 years later, which is it's quite surreal, really. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember my first time, you know, rocking up to British Athletics and you get in that situation, don't you, where you, you kind of sit in a room and you're like, oh my god that's that's so and so over there like I don't want to say hello I don't I've still got pictures at like my first ever British championships with like Shelley Woods and David Weir 
it's really weird now to call them your friends, isn't it? It's yeah. really weird. Yeah, yeah. And I think- totally. And they, they do grow up and, you know, you're, they're your hero. And then, you know, you, you're spending all your training with them and all your competitions with them and, you know, getting to know them on such a deep level. Because when you're teammates, you go through so much together. And yeah, it, it's unlike any other friendship, really, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And I think that's the magic of Paralympic sport as well, isn't it? I think it's fair to say that a lot of able-bodied athletes, they watched their heroes on TV 10 years prior and then they're on the start line and and their heroes have have probably moved on. They're probably retired. We seem to hang around for a a really long time, (laughs) especially Lee. He's been around forever. (laughs) He has been around forever. Well, every game since Sydney. So yeah, a very, very long time. Uh, But yeah, and, and that is, I think... For our sport over and above a lot of other sports, you know, we can ride until we're in our 60s. I mean, Anne Dunham in Rio, I think she was 62 or something when she was out there. And I was thinking, oh, my goodness, I've potentially got another 40 years uh, that I can carry on if I want to, which is it's crazy to think that. Is this you committing to another 40 years on the horse, Natasha? No, is this, absolutely you're not. Gonna, you're gonna, I get asked this question all the time. How many games are you going to do? Is this you yeah. committing to like another 10 games or whatever? No, no, it's no <laughs> commitment at all. Take each one as they come. <laughs> I was hoping for a massive news flash here, like Natasha Baker. Exclusive. Gonna, yeah, go to the most games of every Paralympian. And you've, you've ruined it for me. You've ruined my headline. Sorry, Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> so how does parrot equestrian how does it differ to the able-bodied side of equestrian so there's not many differences the tests that we ride are quite different and i guess that is probably the only difference obviously their whole bodies work whereas ours don't (laughs) um we have five classification grades in para dressage so one is the most disabled through to five which is the least disabled and the tests are therefore varied throughout those five grades able-bodied dressage they're competing at grand prix which um they're doing a lot more movements i could reel them off but you probably won't know what on earth i'm talking about but when they you know (laughs) Trot on the spot, that's PF. We don't have to do that. When they cant around in really tiny circles, we don't have to do that. But our version of the test that we ride is our equivalent of the Grand Prix. So it's really physically pushing us within our disability grade to the maximum. And yeah, so it's judged on all of the same things. It's just the the degree of difficulty, I guess, which is different to the able-bodied dressage. And I guess a question that a lot of people also have is, how do you actually control the horse? I mean, I've watched you walk, Tash, and I'm going to just throw it out there that it's not, <laughs> it's not the most meaningful walk I've ever seen. So I, I would be terrified. Mean? I mean, that's coming from me, so... But I would be terrified getting on a massive horse and then attempting to control it with my little floppy legs. Like, that's that's not going to happen, is it? I guess now it probably doesn't terrify you, but did it not terrify you going into this sport and being like, oh, how am I, how am I actually going to do this? No, it probably terrified my parents a bit more than it did me. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you have that fear of falling off, that that's, you know, when you're not going to really perform to your best. So... I've never really had that. And I mean, I've fallen off a lot, Um, (laughs) you know, so I'm still learning really how to control the horse. 
But yeah, I I don't use my legs when I'm riding. They are totally redundant. So when you watch videos of me riding, my legs might move, but that is just because of the whole movement of the horse and, and the way that it's moving my body. But I don't use my legs at all when I'm riding, whereas able-bodied riders would be using their legs every single stride of the horse. So I train all of my horses to the use of my voice. If I say walk on or make a clicking noise like a they know exactly what I'm asking them to do. And I can also use my upper body so I can turn in the way that I want them to turn, squeeze muscles, especially my bum. And that's why I've got such a massive bum um, (laughs) because I have to use it a lot when I'm riding. And, you know, even those tiny little signals, they add up to a lot and, and the horse has to be super, super sensitive and know what those little things mean so that they can do as they're told. So does that make it harder to find a horse then? Because it's just got to be that intelligent, I guess. Yeah, it's like finding a needle in a haystack, finding a good horse. It really, really is so difficult. And it can take such a long time. I was really lucky with Lottie, my latest horse, I think, I probably rode about 12 horses before I found her. And it was a relatively short search. I think it only took me four months. But she actually came from a Facebook advert on my dressage page and I put a list of requirements and I probably got about 100 videos of horses sent to me. Only two were of the standard that I needed and rode both of them and Lottie was the one. And I think it's one of those relationships that you know instantly whether it's going to work or not. And from about five minutes of sitting on her, I was like, yep. She's the one. And it's kind of like meeting your other half, I always think. You, you've got to have that, that deep connection instantly and then build from that because you know within the first hour of meeting you meeting Nathan and me meeting Mark whether you're going to get along with them. And it's the same with a horse. You know within the first few minutes whether you're going to click and whether it can work from there. Well, I feel like it took me a lot longer than an hour with Nath. I mean, it definitely oh, would have taken longer. Nathan. It would have taken longer for me with Mark as well, to be fair. <laughs> I think we're still working on yours and Mark's relationship, aren't we? <laughs> Mark, for anyone listening, Mark is Natasha's husband which we're getting used to saying because the wedding of the (laughs) century was earlier this year i mean we're supposed to be going on about london 2012 but let's just briefly touch on your wedding natasha because it has been 10 years and so much has happened in that 10 years and we could sit here and we could talk about medals and horse riding and everything else but ultimately i mean your wedding day was absolutely beautiful wasn't it i was honored to be there it was absolutely incredible so the question i've got is what was the best day of your life was it getting married or was it winning those gold medals? Oh. I'll make sure Mark doesn't listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> I always said that London 2012 was the best three weeks of my entire life, but my wedding did exceed it. I, I was, I know, I was one of those girls since I was two years old that I'd always dreamt of my wedding. I mean, I even had a secret folder on my phone of pictures and everything I'm wow. basically my wedding was planned I just needed to find the husband <laughs> or anybody that was stupid enough to marry me <laughs> then Mark came along hey definitely <laughs> <Yeah>. stupid enough <laughs> and um yeah I mean 
it was just the best weekend of my entire life. It was everything I dreamt of and more and having all of my favorite people in a room celebrating our relationship was just the most special thing. And I just, I want to do it every year now. <laughs> that, it's, yeah, it's, it's not a game though, is it? You can't do it every four years. So I know, I know. Sorry, Tash. I'll have to do a renewal of vows in 10 years. <laughs> But anyway, I've gone completely off topic because I wanted to just get that in. But I guess going back to the horses then, how much do you think your performances are based on the horse and how much are based on you? And I suppose it's it's a 50-50 relationship, isn't it? Like it's it's all about the bond and, and how important, you know, you had JP, your golden boy back in London 2012 and, and now you're on Lotte. I always feel like I have a connection to my chairs, but I mean, yours is a living, breathing, moving animal. So that connection yeah. just must be the most important thing. Yeah, totally. They're they're more than just a piece of equipment. You know, they're they're my pets and I still see them on Christmas Day and I love them so, so much. Like they're part of the family and she's so much more and he was so much more than just a horse. When you go into those kind of environments and you put so much trust into each other. Yeah, it's just the most special relationship. And I feel so lucky that I get to go into the biggest competitions with my best friend. You know, they know everything about me and I know everything about them. And you can just have the most incredible feeling when you know an animal that can't communicate in a conventional way, but you just have that deep 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 connection that they say oh it's okay mum I've got you and you say it's okay Lottie I've got you and um, and you can go in and they just give their absolute best and yeah I would say it's a 50-50 thing because you can be the best rider in the world but you could be on a three-legged donkey and you're not going to win a gold medal <laughs> or you could have the most expensive horse in the world that's you know been there done it but you might not be the most talented rider and you're still not going to get anywhere. So it really is a 50-50 partnership. And I think we've had as a sport quite a lot of criticism saying that it's not really a sport and the riders just sit up there and don't do anything. I challenge anybody that says that to have a go because actually it's probably the biggest compliment because if we're if we're looking like we're not doing anything that means that we're doing our job right and that it looks pretty perfect and that's when we're going to be getting the big scores and hopefully winning the medals how do you prepare not just yourself but also the horses for a big event do you have any rituals or routines or anything that you do every time to make sure that you're ready to go horses love routine so just keeping the routine on a daily and a weekly basis is really, really important. So I guess it's probably different to your sport, maybe where on a lead up to a competition, you might up your training a bit. I would very much stick to a normal training routine. So I might up the intensity of a training session, but I wouldn't necessarily up the amount of sessions that I do per week. I would probably do a little bit more test riding than I would training. But yeah, the the horses really like having that same routine. So hacking's a big part of mine. So I like to take her out around the fields and have a good walk, good trot on a good canter, blow the cobwebs away. And she really, really enjoys that. It's really good for her mental well-being as well as her physical well-being. And so a lot of people might think, oh my goodness, that's that's really risky doing that close to a competition. But actually 
if the horse is used to doing that on a regular basis, then actually it's more risky not doing it because you don't know what implications you're going to have. But traditions or anything like that, I don't really have. I used to be really superstitious and my mum used to have to have a certain number of plaits in my horse's mane each time. And then I think when I went to my first championship at the Europeans in 2011, I came home with two gold medals and I didn't expect that. And so we were like oh, what did we do? And then you just carry it on. And then actually when it really doesn't go right, you think actually that's a load of rubbish. Superstition isn't worth anything. But yeah, we used to be an incredibly superstitious family. But yeah, keeping the routine going into competitions, I think is probably the most important thing. Do you find having to look after Lottie when you're competing, do you find that maybe, I don't know, like soothes your nerves a little bit in any way? Like I feel like when I go and compete, all I've got to think about is myself. So I just panic and I pay extra attention to my chair and I know it's all scratches and bumps that I've never even <laughs> looked at before. And then I'm like, oh, I need a new chair right now. But do you find that because you're trying to keep Lottie calm, because you're trying to just make sure that she's ready to go, maybe that calms you down as well? Yeah, definitely. I think for me, spending time in the stable with her, just being with her, grooming and doing whatever I am, even if it's just standing in the corner of her stable, just (laughs) chatting to her like a complete crazy woman. It does help soothe me. And I think that's the other thing, like when we're getting on, the horses are so sensitive to be able to pick up on those small aids. If I'm tense and I'm nervous, then that's going to go straight down my reins, straight into her mouth. And she's going to feel that. And it's really, really ultra important for me to not change when I'm in a competition environment and to to go in and give her confidence, especially early on in our career, because, you know, she's never done anything like this before. And so, you know, going into Tokyo, we were going into the unknown. I didn't know how she was going to cope with that stadium atmosphere and environment. And so for me, it was ultra important for me to be as relaxed and as calm as possible, which is hard when you're going into a Paralympic Games. You know, and I have to work really, really hard with my sports psychologist to to be as calm and as settled as possible. But I think having JP really helped me with that because he was the most sensitive horse that I've ever ridden in my entire life. He was a big, big wuss. And if a flower blew in the wrong direction, he would just freak out. And so I had to be the calmest like a bit like a mummy influence to him and just say it's all right you can do this and so I think having him and riding him at championship level for such a long time I think that's helped me get into that kind of mindset when I go into competitions that I've just got to be super super chilled and can go in and and give them a really good experience but actually I think sometimes it's made me the other way because I'm always looking out for things that might spook them because I had to be so on it with JP and and kind of try and spot things before he would I'm almost a little bit oversensitive myself because I'm always trying to spot things even though she won't react I'm more spooky (laughs) than she is (laughs) maybe just maybe she needs to chill you out a bit (laughs) I think she does (laughs) how special is it that your mom is is part of your team like the lovely Lorraine gets to travel she's part of our Paralympic team when we when we go I'd love my mom to be by my side when I'm racing so that must be the most special thing yeah, I felt the like the luckiest athlete out in Tokyo because everybody else had to wave goodbye to their parents at the airport and my mum got to come out and look after Lottie for me. And yeah, I am so, so lucky. And, you know, she's 
obviously everybody in the equestrian world has their grooms and their grooms have to know their horses really really well but I have that advantage where my mum also knows me probably better than I know myself (laughs) Um, and so you know if I'm having a little panicky moment or if I'm feeling stressed or feeling nervous or apprehensive she can chat me back down and you know make me feel relaxed make me feel calm and so yeah having her there is just so amazing and to be able to celebrate with her as well when everything goes well is yeah seeing her as the first face when I come out of the arena is is just amazing I do feel jealous when I see your mom stood there and you get all nice pictures and I'm like oh, oh. oh loads of 2012 I didn't even see my mom so <laughs> my mom actually walked me onto the podium because I can't walk in my I mean you see me walk anyway but I'm even worse walking in my riding boots and I was determined that it was my first medal and I was like I want to walk onto the podium I do not want to be on my scooter and I was like I'm gonna need some help though so my mum linked my arms and walked me onto the podium oh. which I know oh, I'm not gonna so cry special. but yeah it's that's so so, so nice. special and I mean since 2012 you've not only been awarded an MBE which your mum got to go and stand alongside you once again you're now an OBE you're just yeah. doing it all we know the wedding is better than the Paralympics, so we're not we're not going to dwell on that. That's fine. <laughs> but how do you rank your honour compared to, you know, six Paralympic gold medals, two Paralympic silver medals, if I've got that right? Where on the mantelpiece is the OBE and the MBE sitting? Oh, right next door. They are right up there. I think, you know, as an athlete, you always want to do your best in your sport. And then... It's things like that, which is just, it never even crossed my mind that I would get an honour such as an MBE or an OBE. And when you get that letter through the post, the hardest thing is keeping it a secret for such a <laughs> long time. But yeah, it's it's just unreal that you've been recognised in that way. Just crazy. Sometimes I just think, is this really my life? <laughs> Did the games change your life? Do you feel like 2012 changed oh. your life? Without a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt. You know, I went into that Games completely unknown. I didn't know what was going to happen at the Games. I never imagined I would come home with two gold medals, not in a million years. I I hoped for a medal of a colour. So that just completely, yeah, just blew my mind. But yeah, to be recognised and to be on TV and to get those honours and to get invites to red carpet events, it is crazy, like... I think you may have been there actually I think we went to Hello's birthday and Rod Stewart sang happy birthday and I was just like am I like is this real is this happening it's just crazy and yeah I'm still not over it (laughs) absolutely not no we are still the giddy little kids that when we get invited anywhere absolutely anywhere we go to the Pride of Britain together don't we we did the NTAs together Wimbledon like Ascot, we've done Ascot together. Yeah. And we do, we just rock up, don't we? And we're yeah. selfie hunting ah! and <laughs> literally just meeting as many people as we can. And it, it, I would say London 2012 absolutely changed my life. So yeah. I'm glad you think the same. <laughs> I think it's crazy that like 
it was both of our first games and we didn't actually meet during the Paralympic Games, even though we were both in the village. We met at so many events after (laughs) the games that we became then like such good friends, which I think, you know, take the medals out of Paralympic sport. That for me is what makes a Paralympic Games, just being in the village, meeting all of the other athletes from all of the other sports and, and getting those friendships. It just is the best thing ever, isn't it? Do you think that, you know, we hear all this about Inspire Generation. It was the tagline of London 2012. You were inspired by Sydney. Do you think that London 2012 inspired Generation? Do you think it left a legacy in terms of the respect and the support that Paralympic athletes, I think, got back in London 2012, but also that they get now? Do you think it's still there or do you think it needs a revamp? Yeah, I think there was a lot of of young athletes that were totally inspired by the London 2012 Paralympic Games. I know for sure that the rates of British equestrian in the para sector went through the roof and are still continuing to to be on the rise from that. So that's really, really positive. And I think it's the first time that the Paralympics had been seen alongside the Olympics and people were as excited about the Paralympics in London as they were the Olympic Games and that for me was just unreal and to have packed out stadiums for the first time and just to have everybody behind you it was just the most incredible feeling I do however think it needs a reboot and I really really hope that Paris is going to be that opportunity to have that with it being so close And especially after Tokyo being behind closed doors, I think everybody really, really is looking forward to another Olympic and Paralympic Games. And I just hope that we can encapsulate that and improve on that from London 2012 and make Paris even bigger and better. We still say that London 2012 was the biggest Paralympic Games. And do you agree that it's maybe the time that it's not the biggest Paralympic Games anymore? We can go bigger, we can go better, we can be stronger as a as a team and as an event yeah absolutely I think each Paralympics should be bigger and better than the last and obviously Tokyo was it was different circumstances because of COVID but for us Rio didn't really live up to to what London 2012 was and I think for us as a sport it was a real shame because we barely got any coverage at all in Rio whereas we had so much in London 2012 all three of my tests were shown on TV in London 2012 I won three gold medals in Rio so one more than I did in London and they only showed me going onto the podium they actually showed more of me putting my lip gloss on before I went onto (laughs) the podium than of me riding in Rio which you know is that's not okay um <laughs> maybe they just really liked your lip gloss maybe that was may, maybe <laughs> maybe i need to buy some more <laughs> <laughs> maybe you weren't wearing it for your uh, for your actual test and then they were just like nah she don't look good enough zoomed in <laughs> <laughs> but you know we we need as much help and support as we can from the media and unfortunately for for us that wasn't there in rio Tokyo was loads better but of course it was behind closed doors and so I think the general public want that feeling of being at a championships again and so I I do hope that Paris can really step it up and and be bigger and better than London I think for anybody that competes at home games that games will always be the most special games for them but I don't think that that can stop anybody from trying to achieve bigger things And I think 
any host nation can really look at London 2012 and say, right, that was the best games. So how can we improve on that? And I think it's a shame that that Tokyo was the way that it was, because I think that had the potential to be bigger and better than London. But obviously, because of the circumstances, it couldn't. I completely agree. Completely agree. So to close, can you tell me one story from London that maybe maybe no one knows like one thing like there's so much that happens in that village that it doesn't have to be embarrassing just like something that maybe people won't realize or you know I always speak about even just like the food hall and just how big it is and you can literally go and get a roast dinner at two o'clock in the morning if you want one and it's the weirdest place you'll ever go but yeah, yeah I guess what's the one thing that either going into London 2012 you had no idea about and it blew your mind or something that you tell people and and it they just can't believe it I'm really bad at these questions (laughs) (laughs) sorry (laughs) putting me on the spot I think for me going into London I was just like a rabbit in the headlights for the whole time that I was there the whole village environment just was was crazy the whole scale of it like you say going into the food hall and it being so so large I had the best time after I competed though after <laughs> London where I was so lucky that I finished on day five so I had the rest of the competition to just have the the best best time and I really made the most of it I think I had roughly about three hours sleep per night I was sharing a room with Sophie Wells and uh, I was texting her saying can you please leave my pajamas in the bathroom because I'm not coming home tonight <laughs> and uh and so yeah I was getting back so so late and just out partying it's where I met Mark and yeah I think I think for me it was spending that time with my teammates that I hadn't done before I think we were there for pretty much three weeks so spending the time in the village and just making those memories I can remember like I think it was the first night me and Sophie decorating our room and trying on all of our clothes and kind of doing like catwalks um with with, like all of all (laughs) of our kit and everything and yeah just the most incredible time and I just, I just want to do it all over again. It was, it was so, so good. Me I don't too. know if that's Any enough day. of an answer for you, really. <laughs> it was a great answer. You know, it, it's been so great to chat to you and just take a trip down memory lane, really. Learn a bit about equestrian and horse riding, but also remember the great time that was London 2012. I think it'll stick in both our heads for the rest of our lives. But like you say, let's hope that Paris is bigger and better. Are you planning on being there? Is that the, is that the plan? Will we see Natasha Baker at Paris 2024? I really hope so. Yeah, <laughs> very, very much on my radar. We've got European Championships next year. We've had World Champs already. We have won Championships per year. So uh, so Paris is very, very much on the radar. I absolutely want to be there. And the equestrian events are actually in the Palace of Versailles. Ooh. I mean, to, to ride Fancy. in the palace would just be... Yeah, very, very fancy. So, and I think like for me, whenever I, f- I finished Rio and I was like, yep, I definitely want to do Tokyo. And I finished Tokyo and I was like, yep, I definitely want to do Paris. And I kind of, I think I just set that four year plan and, and I don't know about LA yet, but I definitely 100% want to do Paris. Well, I'm sure after this, listening to this podcast, everyone will be right behind you and your horses. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me and good luck with what is to come. And thank you for running back over London 2012 and sharing all your special memories. Thanks so much, Hannah. So great to chat to you as always. 
For more info on Paralympics GB, head to paralympics.org.uk and follow us on the socials at Paralympics GB. Also, don't forget to hit subscribe or follow wherever it is you are listening to this show, as there are many more fantastic guests lined up that I can't wait for you to hear. Thanks for listening and see you next time. The Paralympics GB podcast with Hannah Cockcroft. Sports Social Podcast Network.